Today's episode is brought to you in part by ExtraHop. Think analytics, folks. ExtraHop is the enterprise cyber analytics company delivering performance and security from the inside out. More on ExtraHop later in the show, but if you just can't wait, visit extrahop.com slash packetpushers to find out more. Heavy Networking by the Packet Pushers is sponsored today by IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv slash packet to save an additional 25% off your membership for the lifetime of your active subscription. Just be sure to use the code PACKET25 at checkout. That's PACKET25. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Welcome to Heavy Networking from the Packet Pushes Podcast Network. In today's independent show, we're talking about digital transformation. Now, now, not the kind of digits that flips the bird to the project manager as she walks away after dumping a steaming pile of ITIL upon thine desk. No, it's the much worse kind of digital transformation that CIOs and executives, industry analysts and product managers waste their flappy verbal time speaking about in presentations where most of the people are just sitting around to have a rest from walking around the conference. You know that sort of digital transformation that's in bright, shiny lights on a screen and everybody's going like, what? Yep. Digital transformation is really a topic that's so broad that yo mama jokes just aren't big enough to encompass the scope of what they're talking about, mainly because most people don't know what they're talking about, but that is sure as hell not going to stop us from making an attempt to puncture the hot air balloon and have a red hot go at nailing transformation with a digital hammer to the wall of your cloudy campus network. So I'd like to extend a special thing to our guests today who've been plucked randomly from the dark corners of the Packet Pushes Slack channel. Welcome everybody today. Um, now, they were foolish enough to make comments there about digital transformation, so that instantly volunteered them as experts on the topic of digital transformation. Let's go around the virtual table and introduce everybody. Why don't we start with Tobias? Tobias, why don't you quickly tell us a little about yourself? Hi, I'm Tobias Metz. Uh, I work as a networking consultant in Germany, and that's pretty much what's to say about me today. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome so much to the show. Paul, tell us a little about yourself. Hi, I'm Paul Bayer. I'm an infrastructure architect in uh, South London. And Emma. Hi, I'm Emma Cardinal-Richards. I'm the network architect at UCL. Welcome to you all. So who wants to kick it off? I think Emma should try and kick us off and say, like, digital transformation is, uh, ultimately for me, digital transformation is like the business needs to make more money and more profits or something like that, whatever that means. But the way that it needs to do it is by leaning into technology more. What do you think, Emma? Yeah, I think think that's that's a fair... um, summary of it i think the problem the phrase itself digital transformation has become a bit buzzy Mm. so it and as you said it it kind of seems to cover a broad range of things but i think depending on your organization there's an element there and the key thing there is also word is transformation so i think that's the underestimating underestimating that people do sometimes that they it's it is intended to mean something quite dramatic a big change not just a little incremental upgrade well i think transformation is also about getting from where you are to where you're going so you transform you don't replace we're not talking about mm. digital replacement or digital overhaul or yeah but that that's that's what i mean i think sometimes there's a misunderstanding of it, that it, they think it's just oh we we just get the next version of this software. We just get the uh, the next version of this hardware, and and that's what it can mean to some people. Mm. But I think it's it's meant to, and it's intended to sort of be a much broader change. Mm. That, that that like you say comes from the technology is what you're using, but the change actually comes from the top. It's it's a business change coming down. Um, I think, and that tech is to support that. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I um, as a as a layperson to the term um, in the last three weeks or so, 
the <laughs> challenge for me was uh, seeing lots of colleagues with the prefix digital to their to their job titles. So digital uh, content manager, dig- digital campaign manager. Um, and then the statement that digital transformation is also present in the business. And I'm I, I just confused as, a, as an engineer architect. I look at that and, and don't understand what the differences between digital this and digital that and and that was definitely a seed for starting this conversation and trying to get some kind of clarity on it well i think this comes from uh, the need to explain the new because uh, when i think back uh, on my career i started in a federal agency it and we had pretty much uh, paperwork and stuff like that and they already talked about digital transformation and what they think But I think they got right was uh, where we need to get rid of this old ballast uh, stuff that we don't need today anymore. That's like from the 70s, 60s. And we need to get this running on modern systems. We have all these computers, all this network stuff, and we are not really leveraging it. And uh, I think that's the starting point for many organizations to think what can we put onto those modern technology systems and get something out of it uh, aside from using them. I think the three of you sort of put pointed to the idea that digital transformation is um, almost a rehash of an idea that computerization. Remember, I don't know if you're all old enough to remember back in the days when computers <laughs> were new, and the idea was that using computers would be better than yeah. doing it manually. And that, that was like, you know, there was there was executives running around clapping themselves on the back and, and sp- sponsoring golf games on the strength of, you know, computerizing business was going to be amazing. Is digital transformation the same thing? I think it's like we're now, because obviously that happened a while ago and most, you know, computers and, and that kind of thing, technology is part of everyone's life pretty much standard now. It's, it's unusual to not be in that situation. But it feels like we're into the another phase of it Um because it is uh, obviously, again, it's come up as a big topic. So it's not about just using them, but I think it's now um, around getting more out of them, the ne- kind of next phase of technology that we have, and also a bit more around um, realigning the business processes, because I imagine that some of those may not have changed that much over time. Depending, like, <laughs> I'm, thinking, I'm thinking fax machines. I'm thinking <laughs> yeah, fax really. machines. <laughs> Seriously. Oh yeah, the worst type. Yeah, like it's not IT. I don't know how to fix this. Um, I mean, digital <laughs> transformation. You know, is is using stopping using physical fax machines and putting them onto into a computer, right? And using mail for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think I think it's kind of pushing the boundaries further. So not just necessarily the analog to digital transformation that for most has happened or should have happened or is happening maybe, but it feels like now they're more exploiting even more of the capabilities that digital can give us to make things even better. That's what it feels like to me, like the the digital transformation part two. Well, for me, it also feels a little bit like now we have a computer laptop at every desk uh, and what do we do with them? Uh, it's a little bit like that <laughs> it's because... Uh, well, now we've computerized, I, I, now we need to digitize. Is that what yes, <laughs> now, now we need to, to leverage uh, it and uh, put uh, put the apps in the cloud and all the modern stuff everyone is running around with and uh, make some actual business use of it and not just doing it uh, for the sake of it. But, and that actually, I think, so the business use, and uh, that's the bit that I think is, is possibly the 
one of the most important bits is it's around the data because it's the information now that we have in these kind of digital forms that maybe is a bit disparate and the we a lot of what we're looking at is, is around trying to improve data quality and um, and things like that so that it's easily integrated across systems so that trying to make things more joined up so we've put everything onto the computers let's say but it's then like right now now it's there how do we use that data that we've got there in the best way to make things easier quicker and, and simpler yes yes exactly that the, the my experience is i'm seeing colleagues and and people in in my tenure in organizations using computers to do what they did before they're actually using the computer to print the paper out to get the paper to where they want it to be to then use the paper to then maybe even if you're lucky scan the paper and put it back into the computer <laughs> you know that's actually still happening in 2019 right uh, there's big money in printers i'm like some of the big companies I work for, they actually have these outsourcing contracts and everybody has to go around and swipe their card so that they can be billed per page. And that was supposed to change behaviours. Mm, yeah, yeah. I will say one thing that uh, on exactly that note. Um, I have seen uh, experientially the uh, a success of, of that um, that model of moving to a, a you know pull print model mm. where you actually reduce the amount of printing happening. So you end up with... A, reducing the the amount of fire and forget printing yeah so people may print i don't know 40 pages reams of of paperwork and just forget they did it because it was just such a flippant move hmm. and you'd end up with uh, bags and bags of waste and uh, i have seen tens and tens and tens of percents of reduction in, in waste paper just from the pull print model and from mm. an environmental perspective if you're going to use that as a as a meter of success that's a great win it did take me a long time to learn how to read off a screen. Uh, I wrote an, I wrote a blog post about this on my Ethereal Mind blog many years ago. It took me, I think, five or six years to really get into reading from a screen instead of printing the PDF out and reading from paper because, well, I think there was a time when the quality of the technology was so poor that you couldn't read from the screen so easily as you could from a piece of paper. But these days with retina screens, you certainly can. Mm -hmm. And I think... Is that I think that's a metaphor too for digital transformation in that 10 years ago, the computers really weren't that great. And there was things that we could do, but they didn't transform anything because of the limitations or the weaknesses of the technology. Today, we've got screens that are higher res, the resolution's beginning to approach a piece of paper and the visibility, the work, you know, you don't actually want to print it on paper because paper actually has to be carried around. You want it to actually be on your smartphone, on your computer, on your iPad sort of thing. And, and I think, and that's the other thing that it's the devices element as well that is kind of key. So, like for us, you know, we think for as a university, one of the things that we've got to factor in, like our consumers, as they are, or customers, if you call them that, students, you know, they're younger and younger every year. Uh, for us, <laughs> <laughs> they're more. They're yeah, more. Of course, more, they're, they're, the fact that they come in at the same age every year yeah, is entirely relevant. It feels, yeah, <laughs> kind of, they feel like younger and younger every year. <laughs> they're more technically competent every year, and they are used to doing things like in their lives outside of studying. And uh, so, that, you're uh, saying that people coming out of school, heading into the university environment may not have ever actually printed anything in their life. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and they'll be, that will confuse them. They'll kind of look at these 
uh, sort of anything like that, any kind of manual paper process and be like, what? Yeah. I'm thinking of a 55-year-old professor who's going like, you have to submit it in paper. And you're going like, well, how do I do well, that? Yeah, and, and that's the other element we have to deal with. We, we've got the broad spectrum of, of people that are much, use, much more used to kind of those processes. And, and so that's the kind of battle in between. But that's, you know, students and people like that are, and progressively people expecting to be able to get to things wherever they are on whatever device they want and expecting it to be a lot simpler, very easy to follow menus, you know, not having to kind of click through pages and pages, not have to signing into loads of different places to do something. So that joined up or the, the way they expect it to be presented is what then puts the onus on us as the technology providers to make that happen. Yeah. And that's yeah. the, but it's it's the there's two things and that's the problem I think with lots of the digital transformation is that they go right okay we need to have the wizziest tech we need to check everything in cloud blah 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 say all the right things but they haven't actually fixed it from the user perspective down as well it's got to kind of meet in the middle we've got to work out what how we're going to present it what the the processes around the people that are involved in these things what are they going to have to do to change because you know they may be used to ways of working that will also need to change. So there's there's a piece there that it can't just be the tech. That's never going to work. Yeah, and, and that comes directly uh, to a point that came up to me while you were talking about the young people coming in and expecting uh, to use their technology as, as they know it. It's a transformation for those that are already there for us because mm -hmm. uh, we are used to have all this weird stuff with, with printers still around and everything. And... Um, Suddenly, there is uh, an 18-year-old, 19-year-old coming to the university, like you said, and he has his smartphone and tablet, and he goes around and says, so I want to use this for everything, so uh, can you provide that for me, or what is what is going on here? And it's an adaption on both sides. Mm. Definitely. I, I see really, really striking tension between people that are close to retirement age and people that are straight out of university taking technology and their expectations are the kind of service and the, and the uh, frictionless experience that you get with Amazon Co UK or Amazon Com. Um, and they're coming to an organization and they're expecting their services to be much closer to that versus mm. people that are closer to retirement that seriously, they're, they're pushing back against the, the rate of change. And they're making life hard for you to find that balance in delivering your services uh, to, to your entire audience. Ah, the wisdom of age. Or in the case of technology, <laughs> the dumbness of age, I think, is what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> Cluelessness? Something like that. So, no. so could we be saying that digital transformation for old people is actually what we're talking about here? No. no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> for everyone. Contentious. Yes. I'm going to burn in hell for that one. <laughs> I, to be fair, you, you're not you're not entirely wrong. Um, oh, God, we, yes, you know, it's it's a uh, it, it, not not wrong at all. The the, the one of the challenges is uh, you know I, in in the role that I have at the moment, we often use particular individuals as the gauge of uh, a little bit. In the UK, some people say, what, what would the Daily Mail say? The Daily Mail's got a reputation for being quite... Um, it's, a trash, it's a trash newspaper. Exactly, yeah. And yeah. we've got, we use, we use certain individuals to kind of gauge how our service are going to be, uh, services are going to be consumed and how, how our changes are going to be uh, judged. Um, and those individuals are 
close to retirement age and mm. and not uh, used to using modern devices. And so hang you, on, you're hang right. on, hang on. Let, let's be fair here. I'm I'm 10, 15 years away from retirement <laughs> age. And to be quite fair, I'm starting to lose my uh, commitment to innovation oh. as I because quite honestly I'm uh, I'm kind of done with it sometimes you know it's like yeah, I can yeah. say there might be an element of, of just be, having lived through yeah. various iterations of things similar to this can yeah. can kind of make you a bit jaded bring to back the, word perfect 5.1 I say <laughs> what now? What's that? The good old days. <laughs> so yeah. let's let's turn this um, around. Let's turn this towards networking and what networking engineers might be able to get out of digital transformation. So I think if I can summarize or and, and correct me if I'm not getting on the right track, I still see digital transformation as about productivity. So if you can digitally transform the business that you work in as an executive, then you're going to increase productivity. So whatever it is you're spending on headcount or infrastructure or buildings, if you could apply technology to it, you'd get more for the same money is the basic principle. I think I think it's that um, as well as the user experience, the kind of, so mm. it, it's, it's both things. So it's improving it for the people that have to use your services or consume and then the, and also then better for the people that are running them. So I think it's kind of for both. Yeah, because we have, CIO is saying we have to improve the customer experience. Well, how do you do that? You do it by increasing the speed of product delivery or by making the website better or by making the product cheaper to manufacture or in some way or design mm. it better or it's understand simpler. the customer more. Now, those are all things that technology can do. Mm. So let's turn this to networking. If your if you're CIO suddenly come down with a mandate on high, probably chiseled in pieces of stone with the CEO who thinks that a smartphone is a gift from God, um, I I think there's four topics in that networking could do. And I think the first one is bandwidth flexibility. One of the problems that we have in networking f- for forever is that your bandwidth is not flexible. You you go and buy a WAN, you build a data center LAN, you build a campus LAN, and the bandwidth is fixed. It's stuck. And it's stuck for 10 years until eventually everybody goes, this just isn't good anymore. And then they finally sort of, get off their asses and go and replace the network. I So what flexibility is, I want more bandwidth now, I want it less tomorrow, I want it easy to add, I want it easy to take away, I want to be able to change the bandwidth and say some here, some there. What do you think about that idea? Well, I think um, on the physical level, this can't be solved tomorrow. <laughs> uh, we, we just need maybe need to think more ahead and put in more bandwidth uh, with the next upgrade. But not necessarily give this bandwidth for to the developers or consumers uh, of of the network entirely from day one, but uh, leverage some like like the hot stuff today, uh, like I wrote in the Slack channel, like SDN and all, all the all those uh, things we are working with right now for for our networks. Uh, use that to um, make this flexibility a reality, but. Uh, have the reality uh, for for the physical infrastructure that, that this is uh, still limited to an upgrade you do because in your data center you can't put in a new switch every two days. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That is that is, that is a, the tricky bit is the, the physical element. But I think what Tobias was saying about kind of maybe getting ahead of the curve, which is obviously always going to be a balance between cost and, and things like that that kind of influence whether you can kind of jump ahead. With a, to a capacity that you're not going to use day one, but you might progressively. So that's always the kind of balance you've got to have. 
SDN kind of is a transformation here because it does allow you to do zero touch provisioning. Just stick a switch. Mm. You know, you look at the yeah. you look at the various products like Abstra out there. You know, you plug a switch in and then it just automatically sets itself up and adds itself to the ECMP. Yeah, especially that. I mean, that's the kind of thing for like if, you know, big campus environment. You've got so many devices, um, and the speed at which you're able to kind of keep on top of it. Those are the kind of things that are going to really make that possible, that um, and yeah. quicker to do. And 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 especially if you have things like where we'll have elements where a specific area might be doing something kind of a bit more intensive, and they'll need something above the the norm. And you know, usually, especially if it's like a research project, it's going to be not giving us like years and years of notice it's going to be quite quick so anything that allows us to be a bit more flexible and adaptable in that way is definitely going to help mm. the the opportunity that uh, sd wan brings for provisioning sites using just direct internet access is uh, compelling for us we've we've had issues with uh, sites not going live for over a year on mpls networks where we could have just fixed that with with uh, sd wan in a, in a very short space of time and the opportunity to get the application visibility and control um, from SD-WAN products, that's that's kind of uh, a really good use case for uh, or a really good business case to put to the business to say that we do want to invest in SD-WAN products rather than continue with MPLS. The, 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 one of the challenges provider that's uh, currently incumbent with my organization doesn't charge differently for their uh, VPLS to their internet access bandwidth. So you kind of have this position where you kind of don't care so much about whether or not you're using this much of bandwidth for the WAN and this much bandwidth for the internet. But actually, when you get that layer of abstraction and you can just say, I just want internet, I'm going to place the SD-WAN product on top, I get to choose how much bandwidth goes wherever it goes, and I get the visibility and the control that my engineers can can put in place. You, you then have a proposition to be able to go to the business and say, actually, no, we do want to take away this this MPLS VPLS network and just go direct internet access everywhere. Yeah, and, and that's also important for us. Uh, I, I think uh, of something we have here in Germany that's a big uh, word. I don't know if you have that in the UK, but they're always talking about industry 4.0 here, over here. And um, that's uh, that ties into the old gear that is not network ready, but is maybe made network ready with uh, some uh, attached devices. And then you have some off-site stuff and you don't need the full bandwidth spectrum there the whole day, only for some data you suck, suck out at the end of the day. And then uh, it's down to basics. So that's something where you want this flexibility. Mm. That's But even the ability to deploy a device quickly is a flexible mm. right yes or mm. to undeploy yeah. a device or to change yeah. like i yep. remember working on campuses on saturday nights at 10 at 10 p.m on a saturday night mm -hmm. because we were always there was possibility that the spanning tree would blow up and it did you know or i can remember in late 1999 making a change to the lane controller the 4700 router that was running the, the LAN emulation for the atm and it took us two days to get it back up and running again Right, <laughs> because the forty seven hundred config wiped, and we just couldn't get a config back onto it. I ended up having to fly to another town to go and pick up some memory modules to fit them to get the config back in. And uh, it just wasn't um, today. You know, you, you don't need that if you've got an SDN platform. You can put a device in, take it out, recover it. You've got your configuration stored somewhere. It's, it's a whole different game. Yeah, no, that's it. That, that that speed and and kind of flexibility is is going to make it a lot easier to be 
more responsive to those kind of thing, situations mm. and and that and, and that that kind of sort of link with that is the 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 broader kind of automation side of things which is something that's I know we keep talking about it, but it is kind of a big deal for um, network <laughs> engineers at the moment. So do we agree that bandwidth flexibility, so using something yeah. like a software-defined, is yep. a digital transformation of networking? You think so, Emma? I think, what about yeah, no, I think so. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, it's definitely something that's kind of the next phase, being able to kind of do that quick tear-up, tear-down version. You know, it's almost like the equivalent of, you know, your VMs kind of tear-up, tear-down kind of concept. Heads uh, in that you direction. do that for networks, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, yeah. if you expand it further and you start talking about virtual switches mm-hmm. uh, and if you start running firewalls in as NFV, like in VMs or in yeah. containers, then you're getting much more towards this turn it on, turn it off, change yep. it as without – and you don't need other people's permission to – now it's not perfect. It's a vision, but it's a digital transformation. You know, the yeah. CIO comes down to you and say, "What are you going to do to digitally transform the network?" You say, "Well, I'm going to software define it, so I get flexibility and so forth." And that's and it's a and it's a good way to start. That's sort of, like you say, you kind of you can say, "I'm going to software define it," and what that means at the beginning could be something smaller, and then progressively build and build on that capability till we're getting to the NFE kind of level. So who who is it that um, yeah Greg you just said the CIO comes down and says we want to do this digital transformation thing and the magic's going to happen and the networks are going to be as flexible as you'd like but uh, I'm kind of curious as to who owns that digital transformation vision vision and what relationship uh, the network engineer or the full stack engineer would have with that uh, person and how that strategy uh, comes down on them. Does anyone have any um, experience with who's accountable for their digital transformation strategy in their organization? Um, well, I think there's an element here where I think sometimes it comes the, can come slightly the wrong way. It will come from the your IT department up. Um, but I think, I mean, one of my roles here is, is like an, an architecture function, is to be a bit of that bridge between the business in the IT department and especially around strategy. So I think sometimes that's what you might need a bit of a, a, a go between a translation layer as it were mm. between them because yeah, directly for, and, and to also to try both ways to try and to pull out from a CIO type person or a business person what they actually want. Um, and I say not an answer of, I want this piece of technology, but actually what they're trying to achieve for themselves. And then, translating that to the IT department and then getting them to say, right, well, these are the things we could do to help that happen. Mm. In, in the time that um, we've spent before uh, the words were put out into the, uh, into the Slack workspace to this, um, this conversation, um, the reading that I've done has kind of described this uh, digital platform. So digital transformation is uh, attempting to get towards creating a digital platform. Um, and the three things that uh, have popped up are modular API-enabled architecture, self-service data, and delivery infrastructure. So those three, three words, three things are the things that you are trying to achieve. Um, the API thing being being massive. You know, if you're the Amazon platform, you're trying to provide an API-enabled architecture to enable other people to connect into your business and take advantage of your platform. And essentially that... I feel that is the kind of uh, those three statements mm. are the things that I can align to. I can get that. Does that does that kind of work well, for do, you guys? Well, how do we break this down to networking stuff? Right, that, mm. I agree with you. Like mm. at a sort of a strategy level, if you're sitting in in a meeting doing strategic, or you know you've got your TOGAF stuff on the wall and you're trying yeah. to uh, debate, I think you're right. But I wanted to sort of get a little bit deeper into the sort of like. Um, 
um, how do we actually say if the, if somebody comes to you and says we need to do digital transformation, you should go back to them and say, a, we need to get better flexibility. To what you know, what what are the things that we want to do? So Tobias, you talked a lot in uh, in the notes here about using software to improve the infrastructure operations in your workplace. You're saying that um, using uh, software to change the configuration of the devices or to adapt the need of the developers. Is that sort of the direction that you're heading for transformation, like a software strategy? Yeah, well, uh, the software strategy, but also the um, insight, the analysis that's coming up with the, all the tools uh, that we are, there's a new tool for um, telemetry and insight every other day. And I think that's uh, key too for us as network engineers, because we have those complex networks and uh, we are autom autom automating them with uh, software and uh, it's getting bigger and not smaller and we need to act fast and even let the network act on itself a little bit if possible. And I think this all leads to, should lead to a point where uh, a campus network can be consumed in a way that uh, today you already can consume um, uh, some cloud service like AWS, so you don't have to uh, work with every uh, did, uh, every lever, every little um, push, uh, yeah. uh, pull, uh, and mm -hmm. and you don't have to to do it manually like today. And the the uh, end user or the developer has just to consume the network, and it's something like electricity for for us today. It and it should be uh, in the campus environment as it is in the cloud on some levels. So it's getting Faster for everyone, yeah. You're pointing towards network analytics or network visibility tools so you yes. can see what's happening in the network. Yes. But it's also kind of that hint of self-service as well that people might want to be able to, in the same way that they ask for a VM, they might be asking for a network service in a similar, a similar kind of way. It might not be so... And I think that's the problem actually with this concept for us as network engineers is that we're almost you're expecting to do a digital transformation to make yourself almost invisible. We'll be back to this podcast shortly, but we're going to talk about ExtraHop, a packet pusher sponsor first. Your job probably includes managing applications, network infrastructure, and so on. But how do you do that when you can't even see everything those apps are running on, when half the network the app is running across isn't even yours? Add to that SDN changing things in automated ways that maybe feel out of your control? Or devs and other business units firing up their own cloud instances and then expecting you to support it even though you've got zero instrumentation. These scenarios are some of the ways that ExtraHop can help. ExtraHop is a leader in network analytics, and they help you consolidate tools into their analytics platform and make sense of application performance running over infrastructure that sprawled beyond your data center and across the internet and then into the cloud. ExtraHop offers complete visibility and leverages machine learning to help you make sense of the mountain of metadata about your network. And in the end, you can make informed decisions about your IT stack and do it quickly. If you go to extrahop.com slash packet pushers, you can find out more about the ExtraHop performance platform. Once more, that is extrahop.com slash packet pushers. And now back to the show. Um, I think it's a mistake. Well, my experience of making yourself invisible has been a mistake, and yeah, well, no, I mean, because then you get overlooked. And my my way yeah, of sorry, not I don't mean yourself, but I mean like it's that so like uh, that's why I was saying the idea that it just it's there, it works, it just happens. But are you saying the same thing that that's a danger? That's a danger. That's like um, 
uh, like toilets in an office block. No one cares if the toilets. You know, if the toilets are working, no one cares about the toilets. When the toilets stop working, mm-mm. so what you're saying is you need a hero toilet that sometimes breaks. <laughs> but isn't that how networking is? <laughs> when it's working, no one cares, and if it's broken, everyone's like shouting at you. Yeah, a little bit. And then you actually have to look for. Or I've always worked. So when I worked for companies, I always made sure that the CEO and the CIO got the worst level of service. Everybody talks about giving them the best, but I still believe that that's a false thing because if you give them the best service they they don't know that you're giving them a better service and they don't know that the network is rubbish for everybody else right mm, so yeah. i've literally worked on cost strategies where the cio and the ceo get the worst because then they come to me and they say this network is awful and you go like oh, if only you'd approve my budget i'd be able to make it better you know like uh, okay, okay. Uh, so you i don't, see that yeah because um, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And in technology, so many networking engineers strive so hard to hide everything. Like DiffServe mm. Quas is an example of this, right? You, you spend all of your life futzing around with DiffServe Quas, but really all you're doing is making problems for yourself because you're just making it worse at the end of the day because you'll never be able to keep everybody happy. So you'd be better off just saying keep nobody happy and buy bandwidth. It's cheap. It's simpler, right? So I, I think – but Tobias's point about analytics and visibility I think is a really good one for transformation in the networking because once you can see the network, you can see the performance of the devices, you can see the circuits, you can see the app response times, whatever it is that you're analyticing or visibility um, – I just made those words up. Yeah, nice. Yeah, classic. Yeah. Well done. I love the way you, none of you pulled me up on them. You know, like, no, no, no. Just, well, <laughs> it felt a bit rude. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, that point is that I, if you don't, the, the lesson that I've learned over the years is that if you don't have a chart showing that this bandwidth is oversubscribed or this app is running slow, therefore I need to action mm. this. They can't. They can't. They just won't give you the time of day. I no, think. I, I, I get that. I get that. I think uh, that's one of the things that is kind of as well as all the other stuff. Like it's is key for what I want. I think we need to achieve is is to have that better kind of monitoring visibility, and then not not that it's just then only that the you know you as a network engineer can go. All oh, right, that looks okay. That looks okay. But if you make it customer facing as well, kind of so you can say, look, everything's. Rosie over here, or which bits is broken over here? I can see, I can see the logic in that. So, mm. I getting uh, getting very specific. The DNS over HTTP that um, that's coming coming fast and furious towards us. Um, those kind of technologies are removing uh, a lot of our um, classic tools' ability to see what's going on in the network. Right, um, we're we're losing visibility because of privacy and or because of uh, market pressure really because mm. people are trying to um, uh, choose technologies that work for for example Google's um, uh, incentives um, well, so uh, that's a complicated issue probably one for another day but the point <laughs> is that you have to trust the network to be secure and DNS is not if you can't trust the network you can't do business on it this is this is why HTTPS came around right people were making credit card transactions and then people were on the wire capturing their credit card details. So TLS came along, right? And so DNS over HTTPS is just another step in that direction to make the network trustable. The network is amoral. It doesn't, you know, it, it's there to prevent that stuff. So you, you, that's not a, uh, that's a furphy, I think. I think the other one that's um, changing a lot, I think a transformation that's happening to us now is branch security. So recently we've seen SD-WAN change dramatically from just being a way to do use any bandwidth and bond multiple pipes together to suddenly security at the branch is now about having an appliance that does 
threat detection, threat analysis, content logging, user identity management. Some of them are doing Wi-Fi for the branch as well and and all this sort of stuff. I I actually think that this the network as a security thing, I thought for a while that it might have been dying because it didn't make sense. We were moving to put it into the application. And now all of a sudden the idea that the branch or the edge um, is going to be something different. That actually seems, it feels to me like a, a real transformation because if you can apply security at the edge, the overall security is better. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and I, I think uh, this trend comes from the realization that security in application is as hard as it is in the network because we have all those CVEs and bugs every day and people get to realize, yeah, we can put it in the application, but if you want to be sure, we need to put it somewhere else. Hmm. And I think that's uh, important, and I think uh, we uh, we have something here that uh, we need. We we can't all pull it back to the uh, head site and mm. put it through a firewall, IPS, and stuff like that over there. It needs to be done where the, the traffic is originating, because otherwise we uh, uh a little bit cannibalizing the bandwidth flexibility because we need more bandwidth to the head office <laughs> to get all this traffic there and have it analyzed there. I think the interesting transition there is the shift to the cloud where apps are in the cloud and the idea of having the branch send all the data back to head office and then routing it out to the cloud makes no sense. So when you start doing branch breakout, everything breaks down. The whole security model collapses like a house of cards. Mm, agree. And I guess yeah. that's probably why you've got, like you're saying, these things are having to be transformed and, and pushed to all kind of all levels application network because it's so disparate now. It's not a an easy logical box that everything sits in now and stuff starts somewhere and then might move somewhere else. So you've got that security model's got to kind of follow it. Mm. What about endpoints? So you have your your staff are mobile, right? So it's all great all the all the time they're sitting within your well designed uh, campus and WAN architecture. As soon as they go home, um, and you've got um, uh, a lack of visibility and control uh, unless you've got uh, agents on the endpoint. And some of the SD WAN vendors are moving in that direction. So it's the logical step in the sense that they're working out that. If I'm already controlling the branch edge, I might as well just move. And But the real value for SD-WAN isn't the device in the branch. It's the cloud controller in the middle. And so what we're seeing is some of the SD-WAN vendors are getting into mobile device management. So putting those agents on the laptops and the smartphones to orchestrate them. And then it's actually going to be a full operational control. And the campus actually disappears in that as well. If the SD-WAN vendors get ahead of that, then all and you're managing all of the mobile devices. Then your campus becomes nothing. Right? Well, <laughs> goes down wait. to the, yeah, it goes down to some to dump cables and dump wireless. But that still needs to be there. Oh yes, no, and it's a bit like um, people who are running NSX are still running something in the underlay to orchestrate the switches. Um, you know, th- there's lots of different apps, you know, or, or if you're running some sort of overlay network, there's still an underlay to run, but the underlay gets a lot simpler, right? But, and then also it, it, the campus doesn't exist in that it's wherever they are. It, it's just, it's people connecting to things. So it, yeah, it becomes irrelevant where they are anymore. Mm. But but that sounds like something I heard over ten years ago. Yeah. <laughs> any device, anywhere, any time, and yeah. uh, we're still not really there. But uh, the movement is still there. I I think. Yeah, I think it, that's still an aspirational idea. It's not here today. The fact yes. that we can finally do a branch 
you know, over any technology, you can combine DSL over MPLS or 5G or 4G, whatever it is. That's a real step forward. And the use of the controllers, I think, is a transformational, Mm. uh, you know, change in the way we operate WANs. And you talk to people who have done SD-WAN and they've talked about reductions from 30 to 70% in WAN costs. Now, I don't, I don't care what you say, but if you can go back to the to the CIO or the, to the chief financial officer and say, I can cut 50% out of our WAN budget by doing this project, he's not even going to question it. He's just going to sign off on it straight away. Well, like uh, so as I was saying about, you were saying it's this aspirational, you know, anywhere, anytime, any place kind of thing. But actually the technologies that we're talking about, the ones that we're uh, discussing as being possibly things that will support these digital transformations, those are the ones that actually can start to make that more of a reality. I think than maybe before, and maybe that's why we haven't, from a network perspective, we haven't quite been there before because we have had this kind of much more sort of focus on physical mm. and and the kind of ways we used to do things, and now that the software element of it is kind of blowing that up and being out, and the and cloud is the other thing I guess which we haven't really we've touched on a little bit, but that's mm. another big element of changing the way people work uh, and and changing the way data flows and and where people access things, and, and so that. Do, so here's a question. Bit, you, you guys yeah. are doing this for real. How many of you actually have a cloud strategy or have stuff in the cloud? We, we start, we, yeah, we have a cloud strategy and we are starting a, a kind of project based on that. Yeah, I mean, our intention is to not host anything on premises uh, of any note within the next four years. And we have a presence in Azure for IT disaster recovery. Um, and that's uh, that presence is only growing, and we're kind of um, upskilling mm-hmm. in in the time that we've got with the um, support lifecycle with the with the equipment that we've got in our on-premises data center. Um, so you know, um, we, we use cloud cloud to um, uh, protect our business, but we don't run anything primarily out of there, uh, of, other than um, Office three six five and your other software as a service applications. Yeah, yeah. Tobias. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, here in Germany, I tend to think most businesses are a bit more conservative and trying to uh, ramp up their data centers at the moment. To me, it always feels like lagging behind a few years to the rest of the networking world. But, uh, you know, many German companies are security sensitive and they think uh, we need to have it on premises. But nevertheless, uh, there is movement towards the cloud uh, Cloud skills are in demand here too, especially AWS and Azure. And uh, Paul mentioned Office 365, and this is something uh, nearly every business is using today, <laughs> thanks to Microsoft's push. Mm-hmm. But it's the first step into the cloud. And um, with uh, solutions like Meraki or stuff like that, um, there are businesses already using some kind of cloud and getting comfortable with it. But uh, it's a slow process over here. Mm. So basically none of us are cloud, like we use a lot of hosting, but we don't use cloud per se. So we don't do it in AWS or Azure, but we have a lot of services that we mm. extract to run packet pushes. And honestly, keeping up with Linux is a little exhausting some days, <laughs> especially, <laughs> you know, uh, I do feel the pain sometimes and getting apps reinstalled, you know, I don't have the muscle memory that I used to have around Linux command line, but it's a, I think that most organizations are looking at cloud and it's an opportunity for you to get onto that. But do you think they see it as transformational? Would it be would it transform your businesses to put them in the cloud, or is it just the same that, old same? That is possibly the bit that's trickier to define, actually. And that's the bit where I think why our strategy is 
it feels like it's around kind of testing the waters and and trying to work out what uh, business cases do we have for it what would make sense to put there versus having in our data centers what kind of things could we exploit there and benefit from and then you'd be able to kind of say but i don't i'm yeah it's a big transformation of of everything we do i don't see that as something that's going to happen shortly i, I mean I, unlike paul the idea of you know thinking oh, four years time we probably won't have our own data center i i don't see that being a, a likely thing to happen just with the nature of some of the things we've got we've got kind of high, high performance computing and things like that where putting it in the cloud is not necessarily well, not for everything is going to, it's not necessarily going to make sense. Mm. Yeah, I think the um, uh, the opportunities that um, uh, cloud presents the organization that I, I currently work for is is that um, they broadly do the same as, as as most other organizations. I think there's a, a lot of organizations have a, 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 a kind of a perception that they do unique things. And, and <laughs> Exchange Online is a great example of how clearly everyone does email basically the same or, or Gmail or um, yeah, and there's very few things that, that define an organization's characteristics. And for us at the moment, I can think of uh, three legacy applications. Um, one, which even has a suffix of, of uh, the numbers 32 because it's proud that it's a 32 bit application. <laughs> it, it's, it's quite sad, but the, you know, um, the, the point is that uh, we've got an opportunity uh, for for my current employer to really aggressively take hold of those applications, uh, and and this is what it's about. It's about the applications. The applications are, are legacy applications. They've been architected a long time ago. Uh, several of them are what I would call on rent extraction. So the developer <laughs> is no longer yeah. spending any money on making mm-hmm. this thing modern or getting anywhere towards helping our organisation creating a digital platform. And they just want the money to get the same outcome and broadly do as little work as possible from what I can see. Hang on, hang on. That's a perfectly <laughs> viable. That sounds pretty it's good. It's a business model. <laughs> that it's sounds working. incredibly sophisticated if you can get away with it. Exactly. <laughs> Why would you, right? Wow. You know, I think that's one of the things that, I mean, we've got very similar kind of um, applications that are, you know, are going to be integral to to our business and I think it's one of the things you we talked about a little bit earlier about the kind of uh, using APIs and things like that was we looked we looked to kind of think well if we can't get rid of them can we put some sort of level of abstraction over the top and yeah. just get the data make it easier for the people that have to use it so kind of gloss over the crappy application crap applications that's underneath and and you know just at least get to the data or the things that people want to be able to do and we have to, i mean that makes it the onus on the, the developers and stuff to make something integrate well and that's going to be hard because like say if the legacy application is you know by design not particularly friendly um but that's one of the sort of in a transformation thing it will look transformed to the end user but it's not it's still got the hideous bit underneath yeah, that feels to me like the job of integration platform as a service. So mm-hmm. your your Dell Boomi, your MuleSoft, your Azure Logic Apps, that kind of stuff. That's that's the opportunity that those products uh, present to an organisation to maybe, like you say, abstract um, some you know miserable old applications that no one really either has the appetite to transform or there just isn't a replacement for those things because they're so niche. Um, you could you can use those integration platforms as a service to create that that um, abstraction. Yeah, we're going to pause our podcast discussion for a word from our sponsor today, IT Pro TV. IT Pro TV, they are flexible online technical training. 
Why training? Training helps you take advantage of the career paths that are available in IT, and IT has an incredibly strong career path right now. A recent MIT study shows that IT occupations have grown by nearly 20% between 2004 and 2017. That is more than eight times the growth rate of other career paths. Earnings are growing for folks in IT as well, even though earnings are flat for college grads on the average. IT Pro TV can help you take advantage of these IT career trends with courses covering CompTIA and Cisco and EC Council, VMware, and lots more. There are over 4,000 hours of binge-worthy, on-demand training content out there for you. The hosts that are presenting the information, they're doing it in engaging, a talk show kind of a format to keep you paying attention. And they're live every day if you like live content, but then that live content goes studio to web in 24 hours so you can stream it whenever you're ready. Courses are conveniently listed by category, certification, and job roles so you can find what you're looking for without a lot of headache. You can stream the courses, of course, live or again on demand via any method you're looking for. Chromecast, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, PC, their iOS or Android apps. you got all those sorts of choices. And the big idea here, make it easy to learn your stuff, then go pass your exams, earn your certs, and then land your next great job with the help of training from IT Pro TV. So how do you do it? Visit itpro.tv slash packet to take advantage of their lowest prices ever. That's itpro.tv slash packet. itpro.tv slash packet. And when you use the code packet25 at checkout, you will save an additional 25% off your membership for the lifetime of your active subscription. Just be sure to use that code packet25 at checkout. That is packet25. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. And now back to the show. It's an interesting one. I, I mean, I, I just feel that it's so amorphous. And the, the, the thing that I was trying to reach for in, you know, when we set this up was to, if if somebody turned up on your desk and said, what's our digital transformation strategy for the network? What would we do? And yet we always keep looping around to the reasons and to the apps and the business. But that's where it's driven. That's the problem. I think that's mm. why it has to, I think it's too hard to for us like, uh, designing in an, in a vacuum as it were from from the network perspective we can suggest things and technologies that we've got in our space that might be helpful mm. but it's got to support something else I do, we can't do it yeah, standalone. But the problem is the business doesn't often know or can't explain oh, no, no, no. i don't expect them to, yeah, yeah i don't expect them to know to specify the networking solution but i i would and I agree, again, that they probably still don't know what they want even above that. But trying to sort of develop and, and pull out of them the actual business requirements and, and strategy has to at least be partly there or started for us to then translate it into, oh, right, okay, if that's what you want to achieve, we can use this piece of technology because that will help with that. I just, it's, it's really hard because I think I agree, lots of the time you'll ask them and they don't know. Yeah. Or they find it hard to articulate it. But then I but think then, the but danger then that's is... up to us to come back with enough communication skills and say, yeah. you know, what is it that you want? Or, or mm. yeah, mm. but that's the trick. That's the tricky bit. It's like, how do we come back with trying not to be too specific and just say, oh, I think I this technology will solve the problem if we haven't got the problem well defined. So it's 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 gonna I I think it's gonna be like a, a forever battle, isn't it? It's it's the you know always the battle of trying yeah. But the trick here is that IT executives aren't very smart and <laughs> they don't know about technology, right? And to, as a general assumption, yeah. Try and prove me wrong, right? No, 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 no. They, the problem know. is sometimes they know 
a little. Yes. And that's even more dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> you can fill in the gaps though, right? <laughs> Maybe, but sometimes it, 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 but I think what, I'm, what I mean is like, I want to, it's really tricky. It's harder if they come to you saying, I want to do SDN, let's say, and you say, okay, but what for what for what are we trying to do with it and i don't know i just software define our networks and, and then go away you know, that's the kind of thing that i feel like we need to make sure that we just push back yeah and i, I think we, we we need to um get uh, an idea for ourselves what we think is a good idea to do with the network or mm. the yeah, business we are working in because uh, okay. otherwise this leads to oh let's buy this great product for uh, the next uh, iteration and uh, after we've implemented it someone comes around and asks you and why did you choose this one and yeah. I, I only can say well we thought it was great but uh, it doesn't lead to uh, real use so it's it's I think it's very tricky like you said. I suppose that's what you're saying, Rick. Is you're basically saying we need to have some some ideas in our heads of things. Yeah, you've got to be smarter. Yeah, yeah, you've got to be smarter than the executive. So, if an executive comes down to you and dumps a bunch of digital transformation on your desk, what are you going to do? I would, I would think, I'd say there's five things you want to have. You want to say to the say to them, look, we need flexible bandwidth. We need to improve our flexibility around our our networking connectivity and bandwidth. And then they'll look at you and nod at you probably. Mm -hmm. And then you want to say, I need to improve analytics and visibility so that I can tell you what the network's actually doing. Today we don't have enough. Mm -hmm. So we need to allocate some budget to that. Then I would say you've got three choices. I, I would say you need to then decide whether you want to talk about a cloud strategy, about mm -hmm. a branch security, and branch security to my mind includes SD-WAN because yeah. partly linked to bandwidth. And then the last one is software-driven operations. So whether you want to software-define your campus, software-define your wireless, software-define your WAN, software-define your data center, you know, whatever it is, I, I think that those are five topics. You could sit down on a whiteboard and say to the, you know, or a one-pager that you, you know, because executives can't read more than one page before their brains sort of shut off. Um, but if you put down five points and say, look, I think there's five things that we could do, that's yeah. what I would put down there and say, right, yeah. Mr. CIO, which one of these do you want? Right. No, I mean, that's comforting because that's the, basically you listed most of what's in my network strategy, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> so that's comforting. But yeah, no, and, and, and the funny thing is that in some ways that's um, what I've ended up doing is because some of the business strategy elements aren't there, I have gone from, okay, what I think are the things that we should be doing and, and what they could mean for us. And then, that, yeah, it's up to them to decide which things they find the money for. Yes. Well, I always like to give um, CIOs a limited amount of choices so mm. that they make the decision I want them to make. <laughs> <laughs> There's an art to that. Yeah. If you're just, uh, you'd know this as, as a strategic, you know, writing yeah. strategies. You write your strategy in such a way that they choose the choice that you want them to choose. I think the tricky, the tricky bit is sometimes the things you need them to choose are not the most exciting or don't seem... Mm. They're kind of like we talked about the physical layer sort of thing. So, you know, buying and can be the most expensive as well. But that, that's the hard sell. Yeah. Software-driven operations is a big one, I think. Mm. I put it fifth on the list, but it really probably should be number two. But it, a lot I, of the times you'll actually get software-driven operations by doing flexibility, you know, changing the way your bandwidth operates. Like mm -hmm. if you deploy an SD-WAN solution to get bandwidth flexibility, you get analytics and you'll get software-driven operations at the same time. 
Yeah, I, I think we still haven't reached a reasonable level of time to innocence for people blaming networks. Yeah, and um, yeah, that's why analytics yeah. and visibility is absolutely yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm all over point two. Yeah, I sell, and that's an easy sell at least as well to if you're to the operational people as well because you know the more they they have the the easier it makes the to do their job. The more information they have to their fingertips. Yeah, so. Yeah. Well, well, I think it's uh, you can't have all at once, but uh, you can decide in which direction you want to weigh in first. Like I think the package of uh, analytics, uh, flexibility, branch security with SD1 is pretty attractive, but maybe it's better for the business to first uh, go into the cloud direction and look at the the other package uh, later on. So it's always it's like so many things in technology. It depends. Uh, on where you have to go first for the business need. But there might be dependencies as well that you kind of might have to sort of make clear that, you know, before we can do X, Y, and Z, we need to have done A, B, and C first. Like So yeah. making making it clear, like a nice kind of clear roadmap. And I think that's the other thing is maybe with the digital transformation thing is to make sure that people realize or that the management and, and everyone involved realize that this isn't going to be an overnight thing. How about training for engineers, the skill set? Yeah, that is another. Yeah, that is a big gap. That is a big gap. The the engineers that are on the ground that are currently operating the network and the infrastructure as they see it now, um, they're not they're not ready for uh, digital transformation in in its in its last you know in, in its conclusion at the moment. So the training budget needs to increase. Um, they need they need to upskill. I think that's a big gap. It's a huge gap. Yeah. Well, we've always needed to upskill, but that what we upskill in is very different today to what it was 10 years ago. And that's a challenge because a lot of network engineers stopped learning 10, 20 years ago. Um, I'm, I even heard a story this week about a team of network engineers, a small team, three or four people, which is a big size company these days. Um, and they refused to do anything SDN because their skills were on the CLI. And it's still going on. So. <sighs> Yeah, it's frustrating. I think it's like some of the things we talked about before, but I guess depending on how long you've been in, in doing your job, you kind of might be a bit jaded about it. And, um, but it, it kind of feels sad in a way because hope, you would hope that some, some might see it as an opportunity to you know, gain some new skills, do something excitingly different. But it is, I guess it's so dramatically different that it can be a bit intimidating. The slowest part of the business, the the the, the board level, is mm. is asking about transformation, and the engineers aren't responding yeah. at, at pace. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's crazy. The, yeah. the the engineers, the guys on the ground, you know, it's it it is twenty nineteen. You know, the pace of change is, you know, not slowing down. Um, yeah. It's yeah, it's not okay to. But how to engaged still. do you think they are? I think that might be another problem as well. Is that when if these kind of strategies are, are done without much engagement with those people on the ground or, you know, that they might feel disconnected and it's just something thrown at them. Yeah, well, we we don't have the whole picture from that story, but to me it feels a little bit like the person who pitched the idea to them has, has done a poor job or not enough, good enough of a job to let them see the value they get if they um, move over to uh, this new tools, this new stuff, because uh, there's always some resentment for 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 something new if you have your comfortable like nice niche but uh on the other hand uh, uh in technology 
everybody should know you can't stay in the glory of yesterday. Are they close to retirement by chance? (laughs) 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 But yeah, I think it's um, uh, the the digital transformation strategy is nothing without excellent leadership. Yeah, there's there's nothing. Mm. Well, I think the the challenge. I think most of what we've talked about today is um, responding in an environment of not excellent leadership. And I, that was actually the purpose yeah, the, the purpose that I had in the show is I'm assuming that your leadership is mediocre. Average means average. There's not a lot of ex- excellent executives. If there were, <clears throat> we wouldn't be whining about them all the time. But <laughs> my philosophy is um, the hope that I had for this show is to talk about digital transformation sort of generally, mainly to promote people thinking about it, and uh, mostly so that you walk away with a bunch of trite words. So if somebody turns up on your doorstep and says, we need to have a digital transformation strategy, what are you going to do in the networking? You come up with these five points, which I'll put into the show notes, mm. and um, and then you'll either be ignored, like they'll forget about it, and you look good because you've got a digital transformation strategy ready to go, right? <laughs> hey, <laughs> one-page digital transformation strategy. And if they actually come back to you and say, we like it, we're going to fund it, well, then you actually have to do the hard work. But until then, you know, what, digital transformation, as we set out at the start, it's how do you improve productivity? How do you improve profitability? I, I think the goal that I want to see is that people come to you as the networking people and say, if I invest in the network, I'll be more profitable as a business. That's the goal. Right. Technology improves something. If you, so you, can, you want them to come with just the purse and say, if I gave you this money to do that, that very general aim, increase productivity, what would you do to yes, do that? Yeah. that? That would be my pitch to them to say, like, I can improve productivity. I can manage costs. I can improve speed of business. I can support the sales team better. And I can do that by increasing the flexibility of the bandwidth, having a better visibility platform so I can see what's happening in the network by having a strategy laid out for cloud connectivity. You don't have to implement it. We just have to have a strategy. We need to improve security around the networking. And so then today that's branch security, SD-WAN, and we need to get more software in the operation so that we can allocate our resources into the right place. So instead of hiring more headcount to configure VLANs, we need more people deploying the next generation of technology. No, I agree. I, and I think those are kind of, it's just, it's it's then making sure that um, how you have some sort of measurable things afterwards to prove that you've achieved it. And that could be the tricky bit if there aren't necessarily correlating changes in the business itself that are taking advantage of the things you've done. I mean, some of them, will, they won't have to change much and it will just happen. But I think some elements of it, you might still need to kind of push with some transformation to the actual people or processes above to get the most out of it. Well, I think that we're just about hitting the time limit and we should start thinking about wrapping this up. I know that digital transformation is a bit of a waft in the sense that it's a soft topic and it's hard to come up with hard answers, but maybe we've given you something to think about. So, Paul, uh, any final thoughts? Sure. So, um, the the one pager that you've uh, described with the uh, five points um, application visibility control, which you know for me is is uh, top of the list, um, is going to really enable you to um, allow your CIO to go back and have a think about what it is that they want from you, and enabling that digital transformation strategy, so that you can either like you say, look good, or you can actually get on with doing that job and turning that digital transformation strategy into something. Also a useful career planning tool, because if you write that out, you might think to yourself, this is where I need to be, just as it just struck me as you were saying that. Uh, Tobias, any closing thoughts? Well, uh, to me, uh, in addition to uh, the one pager, uh, it would be, uh, this is something coming slowly up and still not finished and may even uh, 
be not finished when we're all close to retirement. You never know. <laughs> but but yeah. uh, these things come slowly, but that doesn't mean they're coming. So try to prepare and uh, try to stay ahead of the curve and uh, don't think, uh, well, it's something that will get past me. Uh, that never happens in technology in my <laughs> mind. Yeah. In other words, you've got to ride the wave and if you don't, you're dead sort of thing. So yeah. Yeah. Makes good sense. And Emma, any closing thoughts? Yeah, similar. I think the the idea of preparations is key. So I th- I still think there's a an element to try and improve you, the way you communicate with business to sort of draw out if if you're not getting it straight away, draw out from them what they're trying to achieve, so that you can tailor your um, solutions and ideas to to match that better. But having in your back pocket the idea of what those likely will be, I think is it's a good preparation so that you're not kind of caught on the hop. Mm. Well, on that note, I think we'll shall head it up. If you've got any questions or any follow-ups, don't hesitate to leave a comment on the blog post that accompanies this podcast. Thanks so much to our guests for being here today. Thanks very much to Tobias Metz, Paul Bayer, and Emina Cardinal-Richards for giving up, well, their work day. <laughs> I guess they're getting paid for this. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> but, shh, not so loud. Not so loud. <laughs> As always, you can find this and many fine free technical podcasts over on the packetpushes.net network where you can actually discover thousands of other episodes from across our podcast network. Now, if you're listening to this, this is the heavy networking podcast, but we also have many other channels. There's the Network Break, IPv6 Buzz, Day2 Cloud, and uh, Full Stack Journey. And maybe you want to go and subscribe to one of those channels if you aren't already. Uh, Don't forget to like us on Facebook, follow us on LinkedIn, uh, tweet us on the Twitters, and if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that impresses people. Not sure why, but it does. Uh, And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.